Welcome back to the Fit for Golf podcast. This week, I'm joined by Kevin Moore and Nico Darris of Golf Blueprint. Think of Golf Blueprint as a personal trainer for your golf practice. They provide practice plans based on your strengths, weaknesses, and time available to ensure you get the absolute most out of your practice time. The average handicap reduction for Golf Blueprint members who stick with the plan for three months is 2.8 strokes. I must give a special mention to Phil Mickelson, PGA champion at age 50, the oldest major winner ever. If you follow the material I post on social media, you will see I am constantly telling people to stop using age as an excuse for a decline in physical function. You can get in better physical condition at any age, and Phil is a great example. At age 50, he is currently ranked 45th out of 220 players in the PGA Tour rankings for club head speed with an average driver club head speed of 117.8 miles per hour compared to the tour average of 114.3 miles per hour. In 2009, at age 38, Phil had an average club head speed of 120 miles per hour. By 2014, five years later, at age 43, this had dropped to 115 miles per hour. This is a pretty big deal because every mile per hour is worth about 2.5 yards for pros. Realizing that he needed to reverse this trend, Phil put a big emphasis on his physical strength, mobility, and speed training. And in 2009, at age 48, Phil was back up to 120 miles per hour, right where he was 10 years earlier at age 38. Many tour players start to lose uh, competitiveness in their mid-40s due to their speed and distance deteriorating and wait for the seniors tour. A dedication to his physical training and the right kind of physical training is one of the major reasons Phil can still compete on any given week. I think there is an awful lot amateurs can learn from this. We've all heard people complaining about losing distance as they get a little bit older, not being able to score as well and maybe feeling like they need to push up tee boxes. Please never start a sentence with at my age or I'm getting too old for that. That is your attitude and current physical condition, not your age. With all that said, I am offering one month trials to the Fit for Golf app for just $6. Go to www.fitforgolf.blog forward slash app select monthly, and use the code FFGTRIAL. Now, on to the show. Today, I am very happy to be joined with Kevin and Nico from Golf Blueprint. Guys, can you tell the listeners who you are and what exactly Golf Blueprint is, please? So I'm uh, Dr. Kevin Moore, professor at University of Georgia, um, where I've been here for about 11 years now. Nico. Uh, I'm Nico Darris. I'm uh, almost Dr. Nico Darris. We hope within the next year or so. Uh, my doctorate is in learning theory. And together with, with Dr. Kevin Moore, we're, we're the Golf Blueprint team. We're a small shop. It's just the two of us. And, and we have a blast doing it. So Golf Blueprint, you know, I'm sure we'll get into the story with you on the background of it. But essentially, it is a to use maybe your language, a personal training program for golf practice, right? Just how, you know, a program to get people out there practicing the right thing. So they're, 
you know, they're not wasting their time when they're they're when they have that limited time to practice and they're doing the things that will actually show up on the course to uh, improve their scoring. Fantastic. So the people who are listening to this podcast, I mentioned to you guys already, um, if somebody is listening to a podcast, you know, hosted by someone who's a trainer, a physical trainer of golfers, they're probably going to be pretty motivated golfers who are putting some time into developing their game. And one of the questions that I suppose kind of comes up is, why do golfers who practice sometimes not get better? There are a lot of reasons we could go. <laughs> we could do a whole podcast on just, on just that. Yeah. Uh, let's start with just, uh, I'll start with at least one basic one that actually has a couple different forms it shows up. But one of the things we're all terrible with, and this is something that um, it really actually generated golf blueprint with Nico and I talking to each other. Golfers are, we're horrible and people in general with lots of things in life, we're horrible self-assessors, right? And how that shows up often with golf is we're too reactionary, right? We take one shot during a round or just a single round and that informs, oh, okay, I had a bad putting day. Let me go practice my putting. Well, then the next day it's like I hit bad, bad wedges today. Let me go practice my wedges. And it's just a vicious cycle, right? That just keeps going and going. So people just keep moving through practice based on what they did the last round. So nothing's really getting better. You know, maybe something minor is getting patched up, but it's always the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. Um, so that's one way that uh, that really lead uh, golfers down the wrong path in terms of practice. Is there anything you'd add to that, Nico? And then we might dig a little bit into just exactly how Golf Blueprint was formed and get a little bit more info on exactly how it all came together. So, so I'll lead that right into how Golf Blueprint was formed with my own game. Uh, with Kevin, myself, we started golf blueprint for each other, for, for me. And I'm a longer hitter. I, I, I tend to, you know, get it out there a little bit. And so I have a lot of wedges into holes and I kept telling Kev, well, I'm a great wedge player. You know, I have five, six birdies around typically and, and, you know, hit it close. And then once we realized my stats, I was a horrific wedge player. And I don't mean like bad, I mean, generationally bad with wedges because when you have when you have 13 wedges in a round and you know your proximity on half of them is 35 feet you, you quickly realize that maybe you're not a terrible putter maybe you're just need some help on wedges and so that that kind of leads us into golf blueprints origin but that's that's my own anecdotal story so so how do you guys know each other and and how did it come to pass that you were talking about each other's stats and I'm, I'm assuming too Nico you're being a little bit modest there in that you're probably a, a bad wedge player inverted commas for a low handicap or highly skilled player correct so this is the story of golf blueprint how, how it all comes together I'm uh, okay. living in Scottsdale I was playing I played my first mini tour event and I showed up as a one-day shootout Ken McDonald and I shot 72. I birdied 18 to shoot even par. And I, as I tell Kev, am ready to Google like Q school. How do I get to the tour? Like, where's my nearest U.S. Open qualifier? Like, I'm the greatest player ever. I shot even. Uh, I signed my card and I lost by 11 that day in a one-day shootout. I came in like 64th place shooting even par. And I very quickly realized that professional golf is really, really hard. And these guys are crazy good. So I was driving home and I was listening to the fried egg. And uh-huh. yeah, so that, that's what we were laughing about. Kev was a guest on the fried egg. And at the time, for those of you who hadn't listened, Kev was talking about data and analytics and how he's using data to help players get better. Uh, he doesn't brag about himself, but he had the number one player in the world at the time and, you know, had worked with all these great college teams. Meanwhile, I'm a mini tour nobody in Scottsdale. 
And so I emailed him from my Pepperdine school account, hoping that <laughs> true story. Yeah, as a doctoral student, that it would, you know, get my the dot, the dot edu email yeah. address was going to get you higher up the list. Oh yeah, and believe me, I think the second word I said was doctor. Uh, and at that point, I'd probably been a student for an hour in my program, and you know, and so I reached out to Kev, and, and Kev could kind of kick back the rest. Yeah, so so I get I get this random email from uh, Nico Darris. I'm like, all right. Um, at the time, I just opened up. I was I've been or opened up squares of circles. So basically, a strategy business for golf, right? Really breaking down golf courses and people's game and trying to get their game to fit the golf courses they're playing and and how to attack those courses in the best way possible. Do you so have Nico, a big playing background too, Kevin? Playing background? Yeah. Do you have a, do you have a big playing background too? Is that how you kind of got into the strategy stuff? Sorry to interrupt. I just want to get a a little yeah. more context on how you got into being so interested in strategy and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's actually a pretty interesting story. I'll, I'll tell the abridged version of it. I played competitively all the way through college um, and just got burnout, frankly, by, you know, probably sophomore year in college, I started getting burnout. And by senior year, I was just like, all right, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, and that actually led to me quitting golf for about 10 years. By quitting golf, I mean, you know, I might have played six days a year or so. People would come visit me in Arizona for spring break and I'd play all week. And then I'd put the clubs up in storage till they came back the next year sort of thing. Um, when I moved to Georgia, I started caddying a little bit in the summers. Just had a, a friend on the Hooters tour that I'd jump over and help him out, you know, when I was off, when I wasn't teaching during the summer. And that started getting me back into the game. Then I got tenure. So about 2014, 15, I got tenure at the university. And uh, the buddy I was caddying for and a couple of his friends and my friends that play professionally, like, Kevin, you got to start playing again. So I picked up the sticks. I joined the club and I'm like, all right, I'm going to start playing again. And then I deeped of it. Um, you know, I went into the architecture bug really deep. And that's how I came across Andy Johnson with the fried egg. And we became friends. You know, he's always been really good to me in that way. Uh, it was caddying. And I'm like, OK, that's like I'd done a lot of my own personal stats and analytics in college. I'm like, let me start doing that again. So I was doing that for my own competitive game, had success with it, qualified for the mid-am one year, 2018, oh, nice. I think that was. Um, and I was traveling for a lot of my golf, so I was doing a lot of just strategy stuff, you know, on my own. And they're like, oh, you should do this for other people. So um, I started helping out other, you know, some college teams, a couple um, pros out there trying to make it, you know, getting up on the, the big tours. And then that spiraled into also doing it for people that just reach out from random, random Pepperdine emails. And that's how <laughs> I, uh, I came across Nico. So kind of circling back to that, you know, Nico reaches out and I'm like, all right, yeah, let's, let's talk, man. Like your story sounds really, really cool. You know, he's been, uh, he's basically, he was going to be a professional baseball player and you know, he doesn't, he says, I don't like to brag on myself. He's even worse than me. He won't brag on himself. You know, he's going to be a majors baseball player and all of a sudden he blows, blows out his shoulder and that career is done. So he has to find something else. Fast forward nine months later and within nine months of golf, he's shooting even par and winning his club championship. Right. You know, not nine months of not playing golf at all or just not playing it seriously. No, I had never played before. And wow. Yeah, granted, it was a very small club. Uh, <laughs> even par, it, it doesn't matter how small the club is if you're shooting even par after nine months. Yeah, I, I spent a lot of time in the range and had some bloody hands, but uh, just got the golf bug big time. I think my mom was probably the happiest because it got me out of the house and uh, <laughs> and, and had me doing something. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so. so it's like, yeah, Nico's story is really cool. Let's, you know, let's do some work on your strategy. And then really quickly, again, he won't brag on himself. 
I learned like this dude is a bomber, right? Like he is a like for true Bryson form. You know, we're talking 190, 200 ball speed if he wants it. Not a joke. And I was like, all right, strategy was short. It, it really was. We did maybe two or three Zoom sessions. Like, hey, dude, we need your corridor down. Once we get your corridor, it's like I want your corridor inside like 65 yards at 320. We can get there. Like you can you can play with anybody in this world, right? Well, you have to get a lot better in other areas, but like at that distance in that corridor, there's nobody that will beat you off the tee. Uh, and true to his work ethic and all that, I mean, he did that within three weeks. It's like, all right, I figured out my swing. This is what I can do. And lo and behold, scoring hadn't changed, right? No foul balls. He's in play, same ball, hole one through hole 18, shooting 73s. And that's that. And that he's laughing because he knows that's where I'm like, well, your wedge game has to be bad. He's like, he's like, no, dude, like I hit 14 greens. I'm like, I don't care. Your wedge game has to be bad. And, yeah. Um, and that's where we finally started doing a little stat tracking with it. Like, all right, these are the stats I want you to keep so we can actually do. And it was like, no, like you're a, you're a four handicapper with your wedge game. And like, we got to change that. Um, and that's really was the inspiration of golf blueprint. How do we go about changing that? We've killed the strategy. There's nothing to conversate there anymore. What are we going to do now about your game? And I'll kick it over to him with, uh, this is where it was timely for him with, in terms of what he was doing at Pepperdine that, he really had the genesis of, of taking an idea and education and learning theory and being like, all right, I think we can do this for practice. So we usually get a good chuckle out of this one. Uh, oftentimes from pain, you can laugh. I was dating this girl at the time and we broke up and I was so sad. I read my whole assignments, like my whole semester of reading in one weekend. And, and as I was reading, I, I came across this guy named Dr. Robert Majors who came up with criterion referenced instruction. And the really short of it is you start with the end goal in mind and you work backwards. And so for me, it was really simple. I need to become a better wedge player. I need to shoot lower scores. How do I do that? And so I wrote this paper and I sent it to Kev and I was just like, Hey, I like ambushed him with it by the, by the way, at the end of one of our sessions, I was like, I wrote this paper where you look at it. And in classic Kev form, he just like didn't get back to me for probably three weeks and I was like, okay, he hates me. He hates the idea. It's the only explanation. It sucks. And he called me one day and he's like, hey, man, this is Kevin. Uh, I don't think this is a paper. I think that this is like a really tangible idea. Let's you know work on this on our own game. I think there's something here. And so we made the first, it was called a learning menu, which is pretty like well-known in schools, but it gives you options on what to practice. And so we sent them to each other. He tried one. I tried one. And then we kind of iterated off that and quickly we realized getting into your question about practice, we were exhausted, not knowing what to do. First of all, when you show up and meanwhile, we had a plan. It gave us, I think the first one had 26 options a day. It was exhausting by the end of the third or fourth day being like, well, I don't know what to do now. And so then we said to ourselves, criterion reference instruction went right back to it. Hey, let's start with the end goal in mind. Let's get a really clear plan every single day. That way, when you show up to the driving range, there's no cognitive fatigue of what am I going to work on today? It's like a great personal trainer. It eliminates that step of am I doing the right thing to get better? And it means you don't just resort to doing the thing you always do that you're comfortable with. Like I think probably a lot of people listening, they go to the range and just because it's routine, it's a few wedges to the 50 yard marker maybe a few, another few wedges to the 100 marker, then it's seven iron time, drivers, and you head home sort of thing, you know? 
A hundred percent. Yeah. It's how fast can I get to the driver? And realistically, you're sitting there going, what, at the end of the day, what did I accomplish? Did I get better today? Yeah. Or for me, it was like, before this, it was how long can I hit wedges for? Cause I just love hitting wedges. Like I'll wear out a 56 degree in three months because I will just sit there on the range and I'll put, put a whole pyramid of balls within a 10 foot circle, just over and over and over. Um, so when we, yeah, when we came up with this, it was like, all right, I'm going to tell you what to do using this. You tell me what to do. We're able to offload all that cognitive, uh, or do all the cognitive offloading through that. So I would just show up and here's Nico's plan for me. That's what I'm going to do today. And then Nico, here's your plan. You go do that today. Uh, and at the same time, we started pumping some analytics into it as well, like saying, okay, now now that we have a concept here, in what ways can we actually pump our stats back into it? So that way, it's kind of informing itself as we as we go to the course each day. The last guest on this show was Mark Brody just last mm-hmm. week. So this yep. fits in perfectly with what we were talking about. I was kind of trying to get the listeners to be a little bit more comfortable understanding, you know, what exactly strokes gained is and how it's not just for basically having a better understanding of what's going on on the PGA tour on TV. It's mm-hmm. actually really simple to use it to work on your own game. Is that the type of things that you were getting Nico to track with his stats? Is, is that what you were bringing it back to? Or was it more like simple kind of proximity stuff or, or, what data were you putting, say, back in to figure out if what you were practicing was working, apart from just score, obviously? Yeah, so at this point, we've actually played around with a little bit of everything. Like, this is actually, I mean, this is a, the whole conversation we have in terms of the, the path of Golf Blueprint, what we're trying to accomplish in terms of Golf Blueprint Global versus Golf Blueprint, like me and Nico. Mm-hmm. So I'm a huge stats game, strokes game guy, right? Like, I, you know, if, when I'm not working three jobs and whatever, like I'm tracking my own stacks through strokes gain, I'm doing every round. Like I go out and just play six holes just so I can have stats in there. And that develops out like, and then, you know, looking across 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, where do I need to get better? And what do I need to do? Uh, and we did that a little bit with Nico as well, but also Nico's a little bit more, what would you say? A little bit more uh, <laughs> data uh, averse than myself. And like, so, like I just, yeah, I let him tell the story. So my partner is a mathematician and I don't think that he could have a more math averse partner. Like for example, when I go to a lunch, I use a uh, calculator to type in my tip on like a $17 bill and it's not a joke. Uh, we all have skills in life. Math is not mine. And so he says that he is brilliant at math. He just doesn't know it yet. That's (laughs) so for me, we, we laughed, we, 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 we needed to come up with something that was kind of more simple for me. And so if there's no out of bounds, if there's no water, there's just tall grass and short grass. And then I'm just trying to hit my driver, right? Like, so we, we laugh about that and we have a modified version of, of it that we use for ourselves. And it's, it's a strokes gain, basically variant, but yeah. the, the core is what we were using in the beginning. Unfortunately for, for Kev, his partner, just, uh, like I said, not, not the best at math. <laughs> yeah. And so that was sort of the genesis of all that. Like, okay, that's you strokes gain. That's the way my mind works, but now acknowledging, especially the everyday golfer, right? The person that's going out and playing with their buddies Saturday and Sunday, and then they maybe want to jump out at lunch, you know, two to three days a week. It's not likely that they're collecting strokes gain data, right? So, what are the things we can, what are the ways we can make it easy on them to still give us some sort of data that that we can use our background and I can use my math background to draw some inferences from it, right? We know there's problems with all data, even strokes gain data. Like, there's still an inference that has to occur 
And there's different inferences you can make that lead you down different routes. So, you know, we've really been experimenting uh, and we continue to experiment. What data can we use to be successful with our members so we can always make sure that they're they're targeting the right things with the whatever information they can give us? So if somebody listening is, let's just use the example of, you know, your your middle-aged person who's busy with a job and kids, you know, they're they're very interested in improving their golf game, but they know that their time is limited. Like it's a little bit different for Nico, who's, you know, maybe trying to make a run at a pro or is already, you know, a scratch or better player compared to the person who has maybe, you know, let's say an hour of practice time on a Tuesday and Thursday, and then they want to try and, you know, play in their maybe Saturday morning club competition. And that's sort of the time that they know they can basically uh, have to try and reduce their handicap and play as well as they can. If they want to get in touch with Golf Blueprint and they decide they need to upgrade their practice, what exactly is the process that they go through? If they go to your website and they get started, what actually happens? What does somebody need to be able to provide? So a two-part question there. Uh, Really interesting that you said about the time thing because Kev is a full-time professor, is running grants and all those different things and, and doesn't have six hours a day to practice, right? I'm a full-time doctoral student. I was previously had another career as a speaker. And so for, for both of us, one of the best parts of Golf Blueprint was we designed it with having minimal time because I knew that some days I had 45 minutes. I didn't have 50. I had 45 minutes to go and get the work that I needed to get in competing against dudes who had, you know, quite frankly, nothing to do all day but practice golf for eight hours. We needed to find a way to be as concise and precise as we could in that short amount of time, that ultimately became our customer. Golf Blueprint, it sounds like it's for the good player. And don't get me wrong. We have tour pros. We love those guys. We love our elite amateurs. It's for the 12 handicap that has two and a half hours a week to practice. They play, you know, on Saturday in their men's league. And, you know, their goal is to play in the B flight of the club championship. Mm-hmm. That's our guy. Yeah, That ultimately is the dude that we love and get to watch progress because they say to themselves, I don't have eight hours a week. I don't, I can't get better. You, you can't three days a week. At, I mean, at really realistically three days a week of practice. Guarantee, but like you, you'll get better. Oh yeah, for sure. So, so kind of keep going with that then what, what happens? So you, you guys have a good model and it was designed in mind with the, the kind of busy person with limited time. So then kind of what happens next? How does somebody get prescribed the things that they need to do, basically, I'm, yeah, basically go there. I'll, uh, I'll let you guys cover that. Go ahead, Kev. So, yeah, whenever a Golf Blueprint member joins, you know, Golf Blueprint and says, hey, I'm ready to, I'm ready to have you guys help, help me dial in my game and my practice, they, saw, they saw, uh, fill out a baseline profile. So that gives us some pretty basic data about their golf game. Um, you could probably start predicting some of the things that are on their list. Obviously, handicaps, scoring information, like a self-assessment of their areas of, that need improvement and how they feel about their game, right? So that gives us sort of an entry point that we know every single per- Golf Blueprint member can provide us. So no matter who they are, no matter if they're new to the game or they've been playing this game forever. Uh, and so that gets them in our system where we can use our algorithm to then just pump out and say like, okay, this is that golfer's profile. We're going to start them there, right? And that gets them into our sessions where then we're delivering the golf blueprint plans for, uh, to them. 
And as they have, as they're then doing their golf blueprint sessions, they can pump us data back from those sessions through a little input form that we've, uh, we've built out this year. And so then that gets us data back in terms of how are they performing as they're doing their plans? You know, what are they, what are they doing? Ideally they submit that not, don't always have to, like we still are, you know, update our golf blueprint members, uh, profiles all the way throughout, but the more data, we always say the more data you can get us, the better. Um, and that's even looking towards the future. We're going to get into some more, more impressive and accessible ways for members to get us data. So are the plans delivered via PDFs and emails that people print out and bring to the range or is it through, you know, like a, an app sort of service or how are the plans actually delivered? How does somebody follow them when they're practicing? We've had some members get super creative with it. It comes in an email once a month and then there'll be, we call them drops which come sporadically, which are just either fun drills or on course things, things that Kevin and I enjoy doing. But some of our members print them out and they bring them like a traditional workout plan, yeah. but it's really easily accessible on your phone. I would say 97% of our users probably use it on their phone. And just then open up the phone and follow it while they're practicing. It's right. Yeah. There, session one, here it is. Here's my first drill. All right. I record how many balls they type it in on their phone. And then either after that session or at the end of the month, some guys like to do a data dump. However they want to do it, it's it's really simple. Yeah, we format it all so it looks good on the phone, right? That we realize in today's world, I'm a kind of anti-phone guy on the course, right? But in today's world, so many people use their phone on the course and practicing, you know, at this point, I still now bring out my phone and just use my blueprints through that. But echo Nico's point, or some of our, our members have done some really creative mock-ups of uh, different like yardage book style. Um, plans as well which would be something we would look love to do in the future with them so that's really good stuff i'm, I'm sure that would be really helpful for people um i think we've a, a good basic understanding of what exactly your service is now i'd like to dig a little bit more into some of the reasons why practice doesn't work i read on your website that there's kind of three big like elements that you think people struggle with in terms of why they don't get better can you go through those a little bit and hopefully it will help some people kind of have um, maybe a little epiphany about their own game and, and why maybe they're not improving? I think a lot of this just goes back to to what I brought up earlier, right? That one key reason that we're really reactionary and that can branch into, the, I think, the three main things people would see on our web uh, on our webpage, right? Like not having a plan. That's just a general thing. Like, if we think about most things we do in life with our job, with our relationships, with the kids we have and what, whatever, right? Like what do we do January 1st every year? We put a plan in place for something, right? Well, as you mentioned, typically our practice plan is I'm going to hit some wedges. I'm going to hit a few more wedges, some seven irons and a driver. And that's it. Oh, now I hit a driver out of bounds. I should hit a few more drivers today. Uh, so that's where our response to that is like, let us be your planner, right? Like, not having a plan is the worst thing to have in golf. Maybe even worse than that is having a plan that's just too reactionary to whatever happened that day. So let us take that off your shoulders and we're just going to put a plan in place for you. That way, you know, every day when you go to the course, I'm working on things that if I'm focused and engaged, that will get me better. I can trust when I walk away, even if it's a 45 minute session, it's like they, these were the right things to do because I'm doing the plan that was in place for me. Um, I think another one, like, is it's again related to the reactionary thing but let's say someone is good at ignoring the short-term thing we're still pretty bad at uh, like judging the areas that we need to work on 
And I'll use actually one that's relevant to data. Uh, so one of the things we might do is look at strokes gain data. And this is true to my game. Uh, I'll use this me as a specific example where my strokes gain putting is pretty bad. Like I'm typically a negative strokes gain putter. That's versus scratch. Versus scratch, yeah. versus scratch, even a plus go to like, I do elite amateur typically on the apps that I use. So like a plus two about mm-hmm. there and I'll be a negative strokes gain putter. So uh, an easy thing for me to do to react to that would be to go hammer putting. And I did that initially. And what happened was I got worse. Well, why was that the case? Because I, my strengths were then neglected. The things that were making me a good golfer, I was still putting time into them, but not the time that I needed for the gains that I was seeing. I'm an approach player. Like that's where I don't hit it far. I hit 260 carry, maybe 255 on an 85 degree day. And that's just what I do. But get a seven in my hand, seven iron in my hand, and I'm going to proximity you 20, 25 feet pretty regularly. So that that's where I, where I do. So more generally, we can just go back. We misjudge the areas of a game, even when we have good data. That doesn't exactly tell us what the practice. Just because we're we're deficient in an area doesn't mean hammer that area. Nico's case, it was true because we went through the strategy stuff. We talked through it. It was obvious that's the only place he could be losing strokes. But with most everybody else, you. You can lose strokes too much in one area if you go the other the other direction. So, you know, one of the things we pride ourselves on doing is figuring out that equation. You know, figuring out okay, where will you actually gain strokes and keep performing at the level you're at, rather than hammering something too hard. Yeah, that was actually going to be my next question. I have it written down here on my on my notes. Is um, how do you balance strengths versus weaknesses? Because I think something like you touched on there that happens, people. It's to be honest, like it's it's one of the questions in golf that's that you're always trying to ask. Like even the listeners know that like I do some work with PGA Tour players, and from like they're the best players in the world. And just from talking to them, it's obviously on a, a much different, you know, relevant scale in terms of skill and ability. But it's always a choice of I'd like to get better at all these five things, but I, I don't have time for all of these. Like I I know that let's just say my strokes gained off the tee is is not ideal and I want to try and increase my speed. And that's why I might be talking to them. But they're also like, I still need to be really good at putting. Like mm-hmm. I still need to be really good at distance control with my irons. And it's almost just trying to balance all these different plates. So I think that the fact you're really cognizant of those, that you, you don't try and hammer a weakness so much that um, you neglect the strengths and another thing that I thought was very interesting you brought up too, and Mark Brody touched on this last week a little bit too, is that sometimes people can have an area of weakness in their game, but it's an area that you don't use that much. Like, for example, you know, someone, let's say someone leaves a 50-yard bunker shot in the bunker. They're like, oh, I need to go and practice these. It's like, you might not have that shot again for five rounds. <laughs> but but if but if you're hitting if you're hitting tee shots, you know, if you're hitting two tee shots around into hazards or OB, that's four penalty shots around or, you know, three penalty shots around, depending on if it's a a hazard or actually out of bounds. And I think they're the type of things that are almost just really low hanging fruit for golfers. Sometimes it's like, okay, you're not very good at this, but it doesn't really matter that much because no matter how good you get at it, it might only save you a stroke or a stroke and a half. Wherever you get better at these two things, that might be five strokes or six strokes. So I'll give you two examples of that. I called Kev the other day, and it was our club uh, champion, not championship, whatever the men's group is. 
And before we te- before one of the group teed off, the several of the guys in the group were hitting bunker shots. At my golf course, maybe you hit the ball once in the bunker, and I was watching them, and they spent probably thirty percent of their like allotted practice time hitting this like really high soft bunker shot that literally you don't need and it never matters. And if you hit the ball in the greenside bunker, Kevin and I talk about just get it out on the green and try to give yourself a chance to make the putt. That another really funny one is like practicing 35 footers to make your putting percentage. There is just negligible. And you could sit there all day long. And unless your last name's Spieth, you're probably not going to hold that many of them versus becoming a really good two putter from that distance and moving on. People ask me, Kevin, I, I talk about this all the time. I don't practice a ton of putting. My goal is to be statistically average and get hot when I get hot. Those are the days that I win. Those are the days that I play well. It, me sitting there hammering 40-foot putts all day long, like uh, it's a negligible thing versus dialing in wedges or versus you know making sure my driver's in the corridor or my iron play is consistent. So as Kev said, l- making an inference on what's important has been huge for us. And we're always constantly tweaking and changing, right? Some some guys do need bunker play, genuinely need it, where it is horrific. If it's costing okay. them, if, the, if they're leaving three in a bunker, then exactly. it's, it's yep. practice time. But if you're hitting it to 20 feet and you're making bogey because you put your second shot in the bunker, who cares? Unless you're exactly. you know trying to make it as a, a college player, a pro player, it's like, that's fine, just... Just move, move on, on, basically. Move don't on. Hit it. You might only hit it in the bunker once a round or once every two yeah. rounds. Precisely, yeah. yeah. If you're a weekend warrior, if you can make bogey out of a bunker, you're going to be just fine. Like, yep, that's going to be. I'm. I make bogey out of the bunker a lot of times, probably over fifty percent of the time. Yeah, and I'm. And I'm. I consider myself a relatively good bunker player. If you look at the the average sand saves on tour, I think people will be surprised at how infrequently tour prayers get up and down too. I don't know exactly what the stats are, but. I would say tour average is not that much better than 50%. Yeah, and they're playing from perfectly kept bunkers that are pretty consistent week to week on perfect greens. And with tours, the tour rules, the pins aren't, they're in tucked, but they're not in sloped areas, right? So like even if they're short-sided, they're typically going to have a little bit of an uphill to use. And it's not like, oh, this ball is going to run away really far and like move around. They're probably going to get it to five, 10 feet every time, so. That's a it's a good rel- it's a good statistic for people to be knowledgeable on. And probably we'll we'll move on from it then. But what's funny about the difference between the tour pros and maybe the weekend player is that when the tour pro gets in the bunker, even though he's you know an unbelievably good player, he's probably the guy who's saying if they're in a bad spot, I'm just going to hit this 15 feet past and mm-hmm. have putted it. Whereas the scra- whereas you know the the 10 or 15 handicap tries to just get it out and trickle it down and now he gets it plugged in the face and it's yeah. you know it's it's chaos from there yeah, yeah. about this a bunch of times one of the things that i learned very quickly in watching mini tour pros play even they're really good at making bogey mm. they don't make double. <laughs> they're incredible at making bogey yeah. like like pros hit it in places that you would not believe and sure they get it up and down for par a lot but they also make a ton of bogeys and they move on bogeys don't kill you doubles really hurt yeah um something that i would like to get your thoughts on and it's something that i think about a lot trying to improve my own game is so you're talking about practice plans and um basically distributing your practice time on certain areas of your game how does a player decide or how can you help a player decide if they need more practice on the area 
or if they genuinely need instruction. Like they have mm. a mechanical issue that they're practicing, they're putting in the time, but they just don't have the resolute skill to, to improve that area, basically. Kev, you want to take that one? Yeah, I'll, that's a touchy one in the sense of like, we're a firm believer with Golf Blueprint, like practicing intentionally without a lot of focus on technique is a huge aspect of getting better. And that, what, that's what's most neglected by golfers. Mm-hmm. Now, what we're careful with there is we don't mean don't ever practice technique, don't work with instructors, you know, don't work on getting yourself in proper positions, because if you're not in proper positions, what are you going to do? Like there are that club face has to be on the ball in a certain way to perform at a certain level. There's no way around that. Physics, unfortunately, doesn't let our mind control the golf ball and go wherever. Right now, in terms of that general. So so we're within a golf blueprint plan itself. There's always going to be time for technique. Right. We're going to we're going to more isolate that and say, you know, one of our favorite cards is the Dim Tunkin. If you're a basketball fan, you kind of know where that name comes from. Uh, for those in non-basketball fans, it's the, one of the most fundamental basketball players and we don't use his name because we don't want to infringe on trademark <laughs> um but anyways like that's your you know that's your 10 to 15 minutes of right now whatever you're working on if it's your p1 position if it's flattening out if it's just get you know turning around on it whatever you're doing that's your time to work on that right really really hone in focus on that keep it to that then you'll move into more creative cards Right. So those are going to be into something like working the ball different directions, working on different ball heights, just trying to see a shot. Even if it's a shot you've never hit in your life or you don't think you can hit, we'll try to hit it. Right. So for Nico and I, it's much more a balance of doing both. And that's how you can learn which one is it. Well, if I'm sitting there and able to do the creative shots, but then I get into my stock shot and something goes haywire, I probably do have something I need to work on a little bit. But hey, if I'm not able to do anything right now, I can't hit a stock shot. I can't hit a creative shot. Then I just need to be more of an athlete, right? I just need to like loosen up and just get that center of the club face on the ball and then go from there and maybe bring back more in te- technique sort of stuff. Um, so we really see it as a balance of push and play that we always fight with with ourselves. Just one of our uh, members the other day, you know, texted us super frustrated and, and just he's like, I he went from shooting like a career best to like not being able to break. I don't know what it was like his career worse. And we're like, all right, dude, we're starting you at ground zero abandoned technique. We're just going to put the center of the club, the center of the ball in the club face. That's all we're going to do. We give some basic stuff, like little chip nine irons, little chip wedges, little chip four irons, like hit a four iron 90 yards. Just find the center of the club face. Boom. Like that all of a sudden back in business. Right now it's like, all right, whatever you're working on technique wise, let's bring that back in. Go from there. Um, so it really is this push and pull that just it's always adjusting to where you're at at the time and learning what you need to do um, as a golfer. I think what's really interesting there, too, and it it kind of ties in perfectly with the stuff that I'm always preaching for people who are working on either their fitness stuff in the gym or their speed is that you're talking about you have the golf blueprint players report back with data they're measuring what's happening in the different drills and games that they're doing and what's beautiful about that is you can clearly see from month to month if the things that you're working on are improving and if they are improving i would consider that a sign that your technique is in a place where more practice or more focused practice is really going to help you a lot but if you're putting in the time and work and things aren't getting better then it's maybe a sign you need to go to your instructor or if you don't have an instructor, you need to find one and say, look, 
I've been practicing, let's just say my, you know, let's say my my wedges, my, my basic pitching technique, but I'm really struggling making solid contact. I'm hitting it heavier thin and I, you know, I can't make power bogey from around the green. And that's kind of similar to the questions I answer people in regards to fitness. They might ask me, am I better off doing X or Y? And I just say to them, to be honest, it doesn't really matter. And what's important is that as I often use club head speed as the metric that we're tracking with people. And I kind of say to them, to be honest, as long as this is shifting in the right direction, we know that we're doing is is basically a good call. And there's there's lots of different things we could do to probably get it improving at a similar rate. But if we find that you're doing, you know, your three workouts a week for a month or two months and things haven't budged, then we need to review what you're doing. It's not the case that you're not doing it. And I think that's the beauty of measuring data, whether you're looking at your your gym or your speed stuff, your golf improvement stuff, or even if you're looking at, you know, your your income and expenditure or your are your calories in versus calories out? If you have measurement, at least any of information that you can work with. Absolutely. So guys, I think there was probably about enough covered there for the type of information that the golfers listening would need. Can you provide just a little bit more um, in terms of where exactly people should go to find out more about using Golf Blueprint and what exactly it entails to sign up? Go for it, Nika. So the easiest way is golfblueprint.com. We're pretty active on social media as well. It's golf underscore underscore blueprint. And we I try to post, Kevin and I try to post as much as possible on there. Uh, free things, check us out online, whether it's drills or on-course content. Our members like to share and, and, and post what they're doing as well. So we try to be pretty active on social media. We're not as active on uh, Twitter. or I don't. We don't use Facebook, but... Those two would be the easiest way. Golfblueprint.com. Check it out. Read the testimonials. Listen to what other people have to say. Ask around, right? Like our biggest thing that we say is we want you to love Golf Blueprint. And we want everyone to be able to try it. We know we're a bit on the higher price of, of, of expensive. But we always say give us two months. The algorithm's really good the first month. It's dialed. But by the end of month two, it's pretty cool to be able to see people's game change. And like we always say, just just trust it. You're your own best coach and your body will organize itself to accomplish the task at hand. If you put in the work, you will see the results. Excellent. Guys, that's fantastic. Thank you very much. I'm sure the listeners will take a lot from it. And as I said, they're, they're pretty motivated golfers in general that are listening. So hopefully you get a, a couple of new golf blueprint clients and i'm looking forward to hearing some success stories appreciate it thanks for having me oh, yeah thanks a lot guys my pleasure appreciate thank it. you